Hey, it's Dan. Uh, I'm co- I'm coming in a almost a week after our original recording, and while editing, I noticed that there were some gaps in audio on account of the fact that I decided to solely use Craig audio. Unfortunately, I realized this way too late into the process, so you'll just have to bear with whatever audio glitches you encounter in this recording. Thank you and goodbye. All right, welcome to Disney Minus, the Disney podcast where this week we are talking about Atlantis, the Lost Empire. I'm Steven, and you wouldn't believe what I keep under my bunk. I'm Kat, and look, guys, we made a podcast. It only took us uh, 10 minutes, 11 tops. I'm Dan, and uh, get me out of this whack-ass crystal prison. Meh. 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 All right, so this week was a cat pick. Woohoo. Boy, was it a pick. Holy shit. Dude. I love so this movie. I mean, I mean, it's got, you know, the big thing going on. But <laughs> otherwise, this movie still holds up pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's a very beautiful movie. Um, I think I remember watching a bit of it on the Disney Channel when I was a kid, but never really watched it all the way through. Right, I had only seen, like, I mean, I, I know I saw it when I was younger, but it was like I only remembered basically characters, not any bits in the movie, and then lately it's been popping up in my Facebook video thing, like little cutscenes from it, so that's what kind of got me to pick it this week. I was like, ooh, oh, I'm yeah. watch that again. <clears throat> oh, yeah, because, like, clips and stuff from it have been memed to hell and back certain, with, like, certain ones, especially ones about Vinny and, I think, Mole. Yeah, yeah there, Vinny and Mole. There's definitely, there were definitely some moments that I recognized from, like, Memes on, like, Tumblr and stuff. Uh, I had to be meta and wear my Captain Spock shirt just because, you know, the king is Leonard Nimoy. I know. I didn't know that until I saw it in the credits. Yeah, same. Did any of us, like, try to research, like, this specific studio that did, like, the movies that were like this at this time? Oh, Um, no, I didn't even think about it. No, but uh, I know. Shoot, shoot, shoot. I know there was like there was a bunch of like I had like random stuff about like the guy that did it, but I can't find where I put it. So if I find it, I'll bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me just real quick because I know this is like a specific. Th- oh wow, there are quite a few names in this actually. Uh, Michael J. Fox, Chris Summer. Uh, yeah. I didn't well, we're waiting, though. I do have one trivia that I mentioned to Steven earlier. Um, the character Audrey, the mechanic chick, uh, her character in the movie actually made this the only movie in Disney canon that had a Hispanic character voiced by a Hispanic actress until Big Hero 6. Is, wait, I, cool. I think the word you're looking for is Latino. I just want to clarify. Yeah. Um, but Thank you. But still, point is. The fact that up until, you know, it didn't happen again until Big Hero 6, that this was actually voiced, I don't, well, I guess properly would be the, or accurately maybe would be a better term. Yeah, the cast of this movie is 
at least the characters are pretty multicultural. I don't know whether or not the same is true for the actors. I know, I mean, I know what you said is true, but anyways, uh, I'm just really quick checking in the development because I swear this is like a specific studio that did like these sorts of movies. Uh, oh, not what? Joss Whedon worked on this? Joss Whedon worked? Oh, hot dang. What did he do? That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, that's sort of been like... Uh, that's fair, actually. That does kind of make sense. Right. It's sort of been like during the height of Buffy, or thereabouts. Well, Buffy, Firefly, maybe. Yeah. Uh, what did he do? I Let's see. Screenplay story. Yeah, it looks like he was one of the writers on this. There were... Several okay. writers, but he was one of them. Also had one of Disney's classic VAs in it, too. The David Ogden Steers, a.k.a. Governor Radcliffe, Cogsworth, among many others. Oh, nice. <gasps> what? Oh, hey, Radcliffe and, and Cogsworth were the same voice. Now, now I think yep. about it. Yeah, uh... Huh, I could have sworn, sworn that there was a specific thing about the studio that worked on this, but I honestly don't know. Uh, anyways. Huh. I, I'm just looking at all this information. Uh, no, you're good. I'm look, I decided to look up my favorite Vinny cosplay that I see like float around on Facebook and stuff every now and then. <laughs> Huh. All right. It's uh, I have no idea I for context I have no idea when it's from cuz again it's just a picture of a Vinny cosplay that I'll see floating around every now and then but I guess whatever con this was they had like a little photo op area with Thor's hammer like smashed into the ground so you could look like you're trying to pick it up. <laughs> and this dude has himself posed with like a stick of dynamite under it like he's going to blow it up that way. Right. Okay, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought this was, like, this one very specific studio that worked on this, but now it doesn't seem to be. Uh, anyways, uh, oh, apparently this had, like, people working at all three studios at the time. Uh, but. Wait, I don't know what that means. The three major studios at the time, which were uh, Feature Animation in Burbank, uh, Feature Animation Florida in Orlando, and anim Disney Animation France in Paris. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, apparently it was heavily inspired... The art style was inspired by Mike Mignola's work. Huh. Yeah, uh... Oh, wow, Thanks. this was Jim Varney's final role. Huh. Yeah. Really? Yeah, you get to see the final product, yeah. Wow. That's that's something. Um, yeah, they showed uh, him, like, bits and pieces, like, as they were doing it, but he never got to see the final movie. Yeah. Okay, then. I think... I think we've covered as much background as <laughs> we're able to cover right now, so... yeah. Why don't we get into it? Uh, we open with a quote. 
Ooh, and a I wrote single, it down. Yeah. Oh, you also wrote it down. Never mind. Do you want to read it? Uh, sure, I guess, if, if you don't care. Yeah, go ahead. In a single day and night of misfortune, the the island of Atlantis disappeared into the depths of the sea. Plato, 30, 360 BC. Yeah. Uh, after that quote, we open with these shots of, like, all of these sort of flying ships shaped like fish just flying over the ocean. And they're, they're talking in this ancient language uh, about how something has gone wrong and they have to warn the people of Atlantis. Uh, yeah, one of them, according to the subtitles, shouts out another dude, you fool, we have to warn her, we've got to warn Atlantis. And so now I'm sort of wondering what this dude did. Uh, hmm. I mean, I th- I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Like, given what happens later in the film, like, he might hold partial responsibility for whatever happened. Maybe. But I don't know. Uh, I have no idea, but, but anyways, they warn, like, they go to this, like, this, like, ancient city called, well, the city of Atlantis, and, like, everything's falling into the ocean, everything is going cataclysmic. Yeah, giant tidal wave chasing the guys that were coming in. We went full on day after tomorrow. <laughs> we see this uh, mother and daughter, and the mother like looks into the sky and her eyes start glowing. the The daughter is separated from her mother. Uh, she's told by someone else that who's like who's like holding on to her that she must look away, and the city. Is lost to the ocean. Yep. Notably, the 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 older man who grabbed the little girl and said, "Look away." He does look at the light. And minor spoilers, since I mean we are going to get there. Huh. As a kid, I did not realize that this was why he's blind later on in the movie. Huh. Like actually right. made the connection until I was rewatching it for this. I said, "Okay." I watched the movie and then had to go back and read like the little in-depth stuff. And then it finally clicked for me. So I, I was very slow on that uptake. <laughs> this is definitely the sort of movie that you can watch multiple times and pick up on new details on rewatches. Uh, like there's one big one that comes up. I won't bring it up yet until we get to a certain point later, but it's like, Oh, holy crap. Yeah. All right. Uh, we cut Ahead to the present of DC well, of 1914, Washington, D.C. We see a skinny dude in the basement of a museum get, giving a lecture on Atlantis, conveniently enough. Wouldn't it be great if he was giving a lecture on just something completely unrelated? Dude, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, he's like talking about how he's like proposing to this crowd of unknown people that that uh where the actual about like the ancient civilization of atlantis how there's this journal that supposedly chronicles everything they had how atlantis was this advanced civilization even beyond what the uh modern world provides and 
there well anyways there's this journal that people thought were was on the coast of ireland but uh this was a mistranslation it is actually located on the coast of iceland uh hate it when uh, that happens. yeah it's an account of what happened on atlantis uh then he gets a phone call and we learn that this guy is Milo Thatch. He works in cartography and linguistics. He's not talking to a real audience. He works in the boiler room of what I can only assume is the Smithsonian. And he just, like, thinks about... He, like... He had his this grandfather who who he looked up to and apparently was some other explorer ar- ar- anthropologist archaeologist guy and then he gets these notices on like pneumatic tubes that he uh just missed his uh, his appointment to uh speak with some people about his speech that he was rehearsing just there yeah oh well it's not even that he just missed it they send him one to notify him that it's been moved up, and then immediately afterwards say, oh, by the way, you weren't here, so bye. Yeah. Which, God, I love me a pneumatic tube. I don't know what it is, but any movie or whatever I see that has, like, mail being shot to people through tubes just always gains a few points with me. Shut up. I didn't say I disagreed. (laughs) Such a so, caring, loving podcast group we are, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. So, so we see these uh, 1910s capitalists uh, leaving what was presumably the lecture hall they were going to be in, and he's—they're all like, "We don't want to fund this guy. He's a boondoggle." Uh. And Milo, like, tries to rush towards them, begging for this opportunity. They see him and scatter like a bunch of friggin' pigeons. Yeah. He, like, chases down one to his, like, what is it, motor carriage? And he, like, straight up tries to offer a a letter of resignation. He does. He just thought, if you don't let me go on this expedition, then I'll quit. Yeah, and he's like, you'll, oh, and you'll, you'll do what? Destroy your career? Yeah. Like your grandfather did? Uh, and, uh, so yeah, none of these, so he is rejected for, he is rejected on his expedition offer once again. He goes back home. He apparently has a cat. Uh, but there's someone else in this cat. Or in someone else in this apartment of his beside his cat. It's it's a lady. A lady broke into his house. A human woman. Yeah. Getting a noir ass intro for this lady. Yeah, it's great. She it's like all dark and mysterious. She's got like this very these like era appropriate fancy clothes on. Uh she introduces herself as Helga Sinclair. That's her last and, name. I keep forgetting her last name. Yeah, I... Uh, and she's here on behalf of her employer. 
uh, Whitmore. Uh, and she just says that he has a proposition for him, does not elaborate, but takes Milo to Whitmore's estate. Uh, apparently, uh, like, everything is, is kept extremely vague. No one knows what's going on. Uh, well, Milo doesn't know what's going on anyways. And we, we are taking, we get to meet this. She's like, don't fuck this up. This is, this is, uh, don't disappoint him. He's a very busy man. Yeah. Uh, and we meet, um, Whitmore. Uh, he's an eccentric billionaire, or millionaire, probably. Yeah, uh, the world's crackiest joints. Yeah. Uh, who worked with uh, Milo's grandfather, Thaddeus Satch. So, the gist of this is, he gives Milo a package. It's the Shepherd's Journal, the one that that they were seeking out. It was, in fact, on the coast of Iceland. Uh, Winmore wants to fund a journey to uh, the lost city of Atlantis. Many years ago, he made a bet with Thaddeus that if the journal was ever found, he would fund the expedition and also kiss him on the mouth. Uh, Which, for whatever reason, it looks like someone took a photograph of and that he has framed. I think someone so. else pictured like or mentioned that they could just picture them asking the photographer uh, photographer for a redo, and the photographer's just like, nah, nah. Which nope, is why we have a kissing picture. Okay, uh, now I have a little theory that I'll get on. Ooh, yes. Ooh, theory. Uh, let's see. What's her name? Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up later. When I figure out what her name oh, is, because okay. she's a major character in this film. Kita? Or, mm, uh, who? Major character, a uh, major female character in the film? Yeah, yeah. Kita, the princess? No, 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 no. Uh, I guess she's not major. She's more secondary. Miss Packard? Um, Audrey? Miss Packard. Yeah, Miss Packard. Maybe she I took the photo. I freaking love Miss Packard. Oh my god, I love her. Yeah. She's great. Um, we'll get well, on. We do we'll, see her with the camera later, so I believe that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, she took the photo, no retakes. Packard and Packard Bell, so. Mm. Uh, I'll be quiet. No, keep going. I, I'm <laughs> fine. Uh, uh, so, like, so, like, uh, Thaddeus's legacy was, like, tarnished, and he passed away a disgrace because he never found Atlantis. Uh, but Whitmore, who is still alive, wants to make good on Thaddeus's legacy. Uh, so he's assembled a crew, best of the best, a lot of the people who helped find the journal. Uh, we get some names. Uh, Gatien Molière, a French geologist who is an expert on dirt. Uh, Vincenzo Santorini, uh, this like Italian guy who got busted out of prison in order to join the expedition. It, yeah, it, I mean, we'll learn more about him later, of course, but at this point, Whitmore gives no further details aside from busted him out of a Turkish prison. Yeah. Uh, Agio, Audrey Rocio Ramirez, uh, she's an engineer, she's Latina, uh, 
she's a teenage girl. Uh, and we see some others, but they're not elaborated upon. Uh, uh, now all they need is Milo, because they need an expert in the linguistics of Atlantean script. Uh, Which, the phrasing that keeps getting used throughout the movie, I just love. They keep calling him the expert in gibberish. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, yes. Uh, a little disrespectful, but yeah. Um, what is this respect you speak of? Nah. So, yeah, after Milo starts asking questions about all the loose ends, and, like, Whitmore apparently took care of everything, just, like, he already resigned, he's already got some... They're already... They've already... He's already... He's gonna take care of the cat, he's... He's got all of his supplies ready and packed, uh... And... Milo is going to go on the expedition of a lifetime. We get a whole bit. We get a we get a fun bit where Milo says, "I'm so excited, I can't even hold it in." And immediate cut to Milo on the boat getting seasick. <laughs> I know, I love it. Carrots. Why is it always carrots? I didn't even eat carrots. Uh We get to see uh this just this massive ship with lots of people on it preparing for the expedition. Uh, Their sub, when we see it in a minute, looks so freaking cool, dude. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, the Ulysses, is that what it was? I forget. I think so. Huh. I didn't Dang realize it. it had a name. It did. I'm GTSing. Hang on. Okay. Name of sub in... Not subatomic particles? What the... <laughs> My phone's autocorrect has its own the yeah. Ulysses, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh subatomic particles. Why yeah, we need we need some more people that'll be on this expedition, including Cookie, who seems to be like this guy who was like <laughs> an old timey pioneer dude who just <laughs> What was the four food groups? Beans, bacon, lard, and whiskey? Yep. Yeah. He's like, I got your four basic food groups, beans, bacon, whiskey, and lard. And it's like, how are you alive? I mean. Yeah. Uh, he's He eats like a pioneer, which is badly. Right. Uh, we see uh, Commander Rourke, this sort of uh, professional military mercenary dude. Uh, we get the cool submarine. Uh, it, it, like, like you said, it looks sick. It looks, it looks sort of like a more fantastical version of, like, the, uh, submarine from 110,000 leagues, 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's a very, it's a very Jules Verne, sort of almost borderline steampunk scene. It, it's really cool looking. It's on the cover, just Look it up, or just look up Atlantis, and you'll see that this cool submarine. Uh, uh, they like the crew boards the submarine, and it goes down. Uh, Milo takes a moment to just relax after this exciting bit of adventure, and he 
accidentally activates the dirt man. <laughs> oh, oh god, I'm sorry. I'm good. Are you sure? That is basically what it is. He like he hops in what he assumes is his bed and what is it? We just see two little eyes poke up from above him. You disturb the dirt. <laughs> this guy is a minion. No, he's mole. Wouldn't he be more like Rufus from Kim Possible? He's a horrifying little gremlin of a person, and I love him so much. There you go. Yeah, this uh, this guy Mole is mad because Milo sat in his dirt collection, dirt from all across the world. He mixed England uh, and France. <laughs> England must never merge with France. He like takes a bit of dirt from under Milo's fingernails and like is able to analyze it and figure out his whole situation. Yeah, notably, he does not like does not seem to like the fact that he's a linguist, which is like okay, sure. What do you have against linguists, man? Yeah, they throughout this uh like whole act of the movie, people like dislike Milo because he's the uh, civious science boy. Uh, then we meet this uh very large muscular man with dark skin named Joshua Sweet. He's the medical officer. He he starts giving Milo a physical. He's, he takes out these two very large beakers and says he needs them to fill these. And Milo's just like, with what? Which is a completely appropriate question. Mm. We get re- He gets reported to the bridge, and we see this old lady who's been administering the, the PA this whole time. Uh, oh my god, I forgot the joke that happened on the way in. When she's- oh yeah. We hear her voice, like, making various announcements over the intercom as Milo's coming in, and not even kidding, we hear, at some point in there, she says, and whoever removed the L from the motor pool sign, ha ha, we're all very thrilled. I'm still like, tonight's dinner will be beans, musical event to follow. Who writes these? (laughs) (laughs) I freaking love Miss Packard. She's probably my favorite in the whole movie. She gives, she gives negative fucks, dude. And it's been confirmed by word of God that she is the Packard in Packard Bell. Basically, any significant like communications advancement that's happened, she's had a part in it. They've released her whole backstory about how about what she's contributed or what she's worked on. I had no idea. It was this in like a book, a, a promotional um, it thing. Was, I know it was released by the people or by the like the creators that worked on it. I don't know how they released it. Um, that I couldn't find, but. Uh, I've got it right here if y'all want to hear it real quick. (laughs) Yeah, sure. All right. So she worked as a research assistant and she was also the reputed mistress of Dr. Malin Loomis from July to November of 1875, uh, developed the galvanometer. And with the help of Dr. Loomis, the concept of Hertzian wave application, worked as research assistant and eventually as a full partner to Dr. Nathan Stubblefield, developing the vibrating telephone in 1888. Married Dr. Stubblefield in 1891, secured congressional appropriation of $50,000 for further development of work. Uh, appropriation was never forthcoming for reasons known only to Congress. Divorced Dr. Stubblefield in 1893, traveled and worked with, I don't even know how to say his first name, so I'll just say with Guy Marconi, <laughs> 1898 to yeah, 1991. Guy Marconi. Yeah. Instrumental in December transatlantic broadcast. 
worked as research fellow for Victor Talking Machine, 1902-04, developed Sodion Non-Regenerative Detector, 1902, developed Bornite Movable Cup Perkion Detector, 1903, worked for Atwater Kent, 1904-1907, helped develop... Come back. Where'd you go? Keep going. I oh, clicked on the wrong thing. Hang on, hang on. Okay, uh, help develop radac type R4 regenerative circuit and hold sole patent for the orthosonic circuit. Worked for Magnavox, 1907 to 1912. Developed AC3C battery. Basically, if it was a piece of technology that was crucial shaping early te early telecommunications, she had a part in it. Dang. Incredible. And she had 11 husbands. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I think I don't think they ever really elaborate on her whole situation. They really don't. No, she's just the kooky uh, communications person. Who's always talking to someone named Margie. <laughs> oh, he took his suitcase? Margie, honey, I don't think he's coming back. As the ship is, you know. So Milo has to, like gives like a presentation to uh, the crew. Uh we really get to meet some of them in person now. Uh, so he, after some initial awkwardness, he explains that there's this thing called the Leviathan guarding the entrance to Atlantis, described in the Book of Job. There's just, like, a lot of brief references to, like, Christianity. I don't know if it's... Yeah. Like, there's, like, references about, like... Of just characters making references to, like, believing in God. It's odd. Uh, it's a detail I notice a bunch. Uh, but yeah, the Leviathan from the Book of Job is guarding the entrance to Atlantis. You think it's just a sculpture? Uh, and explains, like, there's... He explains, like, how there's, like, this specific path they need to take that'll, like, lead them down and up through some tubes into Atlantis proper. And they, like, reach this area, and they see all these, like, ruined ships from throughout history. Yeah, I think Milo says it's got ships from, like, every era or something like that, which... Yeah. Sure. Uh, they, they didn't really draw it specifically enough so you could tell that, but you get the yeah. gist. Uh... People have run into Atlantis many times and did not get far because there is something stalking this ship. And it's the Leviathan. It's it a giant. It gets such a neat reveal, dude. Yeah. Like, the camera kind of pans out some. And really, we just, like, see kind of a vague, dark shape swimming around underneath them for a little while. Like, the mm -hmm. ocean floor isn't supposed to be moving, is it, guys? Nope. <laughs> It's basically this giant lobster. It attacks the ship, and we get, like, this really neat sequence of, like, them, like, trying to fight it and trying to, like, evade it and just get out alive. Like... They're gonna need a bigger sub. They, they ultimately, like, they have to, like, abandon ship. The, the Ulysses gets destroyed. Uh... Like most of the crew, the crew most of the crew is dead now. Yeah, they and start off like what two hundred, and then all that's left is the little group that we get through the movie. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that all that like gets out are like like one of the like lifeboat ships and and like another ship piloted by uh Vincenzo, Vinny, and uh Mole. At, in in the end that's all that's able to get to Atlantis and they take a moment to just hold a memorial to the lives lost to the Leviathan. And yeah, we find out a it, shot of, uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, in terms of memorial, there's just this really somber shot of like most of them got everybody gathered around in suite, kind of setting a little helmet adrift with a candle on it to, uh, to sort of memorialize everyone before they move on. It's actually like a, re- a really sweet moment there for a minute or two, but then they kind of got to keep going. Yeah, it's it's been seven hours and almost everyone is dead. Dang, this trip this trip goes real quick when you think about the timeline. Yeah, this is like like excluding whatever travel time what took like to get from DC to uh, uh, wherever Atlantis is, presumably somewhere in the Mediterranean. Uh, it's like two days. They're about yeah. But um, anyway, they come out of a tunnel and shoot up a flare to figure out where to kind of get the lay of the land and find out that they are in basically a dormant volcano, right? Well, that well before that we get like uh, this whole like driving sequence of like them taking the the like uh, vehicles they were able to procure and setting out through all these ruins. Like Milo just like. It's like, there's like a whole bit about, like, Milo can't drive, but he needs to, like, lead them. He gets dragged along by this big digging machine that Mole's driving. Yeah, uh, they're basically just towing him along because he acts like he's never seen a truck before. This, this like, digger thing looks really cool. It's basically just a big steam engine with a gigantic uh, drill on the front. We get a whole travel montage. There's like a part where Vinny pranks Milo by making him think he drank nitroglycerin. Oh, yeah, it should be worth noting, Vinny. We didn't really talk that much about him. uh, He's he's like this snarky Italian dude who's just like knows everything that there is to know about explosives. Uh, I... I have a little theory. It's not like a narrative theory, but well, it's it's more like a thematic theory. Like between him being Italian, being an expert on explosives, uh a having gone to prison, I I feel like this guy is like some sort of analog for uh Italian anarchists of the early 20th century. Particularly Sacho and uh, Vansetti, also known as Nicola and Bart. Um, I just love how a lot of Vinny's dialogue, they literally ah. were just letting his voice actor just go off and start rambling, and the directors just let him do it. Yeah. Uh, he's, he makes a lot of snarky jokes. It's fun. He does. I just like his whole rambling thing about explaining why he became a demolitionist. <laughs> That damn flower shop. (laughs) 
So, oh yeah, it is at this point where uh, where uh, they where at one point they Mao's like looking at this massive pillar and like theorizing how it must have taken hundreds, possibly thousands of years to like carve, and then then he blows it up to create a bridge, and it only took him like ten seconds. Eleven tops. <laughs> Love him. Yeah, um, it's it was real good. But yeah, no. Then we have um, basically seen Raruin sit, finally sitting down to have dinner and then bed afterward, and we get uh, who 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 all do we get backstories on? We get I think it's Vinny, Sweet, and Audrey. There is like a bit where Milo talks about how this book has like it's talking about like the cataclysm and all that, but then it just cuts off like like there's a page missing. And they don't. He doesn't know why. Uh, and he like he talks about. Well, I'm in this for the for like the discovery of this ancient civilization, science, and all that. And the rest of the crew is just in it for money. So yeah, uh, we get some some like backstory. Like, uh, sweet is like half native, half black. Uh, Raised in both cultures, and also, like, studied, like, medicine and all that. Like, having, he talks about having to, like, having to patch up Rough Riders. Audrey, who, oh, we also learned a little bit about Milo's backstory, too. Uh, Milo was, was orphaned at a young age, and, and was raised by his grandfather, who was his, the biggest inspiration for him, like, scientifically. Uh, Audrey is a teenage girl. Her father wanted two sons. One would be an expert mechanic, and one would be a middleweight boxing champion. But then he got two daughters. Uh, she's obviously a an engineering genius, and her sister is a champion boxer. Uh, I know, I love it. My love's like, so what about your sister? She just goes, eh, she's twenty four and zero with a shot at the title next month. <laughs> I like how we get just like a peek at Mole's backstory, but it's not actually revealed till the sequel. Because Sweet won't let Audrey tell Milo about it. Hang on. Hang on. You're telling me <laughs> that's okay. At the time when I watch this, Disney Plus always tosses up the sequel, like, hey, you want to watch this now, uh, now that you watch that one? And the cover image looks like something out of a Scooby Doo movie. You're telling me this Scooby Doo ass looking movie finally gives us Mole's backstory? Uh, it's more like just kind of like tossed in there. It's not, it's not about his backstory, but basically he was raised by naked mole rats in the sewers of Paris. Mm. I, that okay. makes perfect sense. Okay. Sure. Uh, Personally, I just think he's a dirt pervert. Well, I mean... <laughs> the two aren't exclusive, so... Okay, I'm good. Are you yeah. okay, Steven? Do you need I'm a I'm okay. Because, yeah, we do almost... We do almost get his backstory in this one, but Sweet butts in to tell Audrey not to tell him, basically saying, no. You don't want to know. Trust me. Uh, trust me on this. I know, and you don't want to know. Audrey, don't you tell him. You told me, and you shouldn't have told me, so now I'm telling you. You don't want to know. Firmly 100% dirt pervert. Uh, 
They also get Vinny's backstory. Uh, his family were florists, uh, and he, and then there was one day while getting flowers ready for a prom, uh, there was a gas explosion next door, and I think it like partially affected the flower shop. And he saw this as a sign from God. He he needs to do everything he can to learn about explosives. Yeah, it's 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 framed as like one of those moments where you just find your true calling all at once. And then they get ready for the night. Like, oh, did we? Shit, let me just dig. Okay, no, okay, okay. So next, uh. They get ready for the night. They're, like, in this, like, cavern with a huge, like, bioluminescent crystal thing in it. And these, like, figures who have been stalking them throughout this whole sequence, like, break into the camp. Milo gets up to pee. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, like, super allu- alluded upon, but you can tell. Like, he's getting up. In the middle of the night, he takes off his pants. Then he sees the fire. Fireflies start emerging from, like, the glowing crystal and are setting, just, like, just by flying through everything in the camp, It he, they set fire to it. Everything They, like, try to escape, but I think, like, the bridge they're on gets burnt down or something. And they all it's go like, tumbling. Yeah. Yeah. They all go tumbling down. And yeah, this at the end of this whole sequence is where I is where I was starting to get ahead of myself. Where they're in the middle of like a cavern and they shoot a flare up and realize that the cavern is actually a dormant volcano. Yeah. What cat? I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought you said something. Oh no, that was Steven. Oh. Okay. <laughs> But no, um, but yeah, uh, mole. I think it is. Someone says it would take uh, a huge explosion to set off the volcano because obviously, with it being dormant, they're worried it might go off. And then and they all look at Vinny. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he says that, they all just side eye Vinny, who is in the process of—is he making a ticking time bomb? Is that what is—is is that what's going I on? He, I think he is. Yeah, because it's—it's definitely like an alarm clock with some dynamite, like slapped onto the back of it, and he's screwing something in place. That's yeah. the cartoon equivalent of a time bomb, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he just notices everyone staring at him, he's like, oh, what? maybe I should do this later. He's like, what? Yeah. Oh. At one point, they were, like, using the big digging machine, and, like, at first they were going to, like, just blow it up, but all that's left are five dynamite sticks, the six Vinny keeps on his person at all times, a few, uh, Cherry bombs, a flare. Just not enough, you know? You need a bit more. <laughs> Needs more DACA. He yells back at Milo, hey, too bad we don't have any nitroglycerin, huh? Because of the joke he played on him earlier. Oh, God, I love that. The, don't move, don't bling, don't do anything except pray, maybe. <laughs> and Mole about dies laughing. Yeah. Uh, but... At this point, Milo is gone. He's been taken by uh, the people who... He, he's been taken by, like, the uh, group that's been stalking them this whole time. They've got 
like these like big scary masks on very uh very aboriginal uh yeah. he like they run off and he tries to like chase after them the rest of the crew catches up to him and they see they see their destination this like gorgeous underground island on like this big bit of river or lake that's just got this massive waterfall cascading down from it. It's beautiful. Scenery uh, born. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, which I know we mentioned earlier that this movie looks good, but like the scenery, all of the scenery shots in this movie are just so gorgeous. incredible. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, the Atlanteans finally uh, confront the group once again, and like, they start talking to, and Milo, who knows Atlantean, is able to talk to them. He figures it out. And then they find out these these people can speak every language because Atlantean is a root dialect. Sure. Uh, it's convenient and, for the plot, so we'll go with it. Yeah, they speak English for the rest of this. Uh, Notably, Mole does when she when he notices that she speaks French. Mole does gesture down to because he, uh, the woman talking is much much taller than Mole, so he gestures down to. We don't know what he whispers in her ear, but her appro- her reaction, which I assume is appropriate, is to punch the shit out of his face. He starts whispering "Voulez-vous coucher?" Which anybody who knows Lady Marvel yeah. knows what he's about to ask her. <laughs> to that was. He's a disgusting pervert. Uh, yeah, you were right. Established that he's a dirt pervert. <laughs> uh, so they drive into this like sort of settlement that is on this island, and Milo's having a linguistic field day, just like l- trying to make sense of how they speak English. Uh, Helga and Rourke start talking to each other about. Hey, there's people here. This is going to be a problem. And Rook says, no, it's not, basically. Like, all right, sure. That's not ominous at all. Imperialism is bad versus no, it's not. Uh... (laughs) But alternatively, nah. Yeah. uh... We meet uh, this... uh... Young woman and the king of the Atlanteans, their uh, father and daughter. Uh, the king is blind. He, as mentioned, as he was re- mentioned very briefly before, he is played by Leonard, Leonard Nimoy. And the two, like, try to, like, chat things out. And this, like, Atlantean King does not respect these uh, mysterious people just coming in. Uh, but With he allows him, yeah, he allows him to stay for one night, uh, just to resupply and leave. Uh, so the daughter from before, her name is Kita. She talks to her father about how they live in ruins of what once was. 
it's like a king and daughter situation. Uh, the the like the crew of the uh, of the Ulysses like start talking with each other, and like they need someone, anyone who can just like speak their language, is non-threatening, will be able to work out some sort of diplomacy. Uh, Meanwhile, Mole is constantly volunteering. <laughs> yeah. But it's going to be Milo. They need Milo. Uh, he's got to do some diplomacy. He tries to, like, sneak up on Kina to, like, tap, to, like get, in, get her to get information out of her. And uh, Kina wa- beats her to that. Beats him to that. Yeah, it is a good scene. He's basically off to the side, like, trying to, I guess, get himself straight, figure out what he's going to say. He's like, okay, look. I've got some questions here, and I'm not leaving until they're answered. And she just, like, pounces behind him and is like, I've got questions, and you're not leaving until they're answered. They head off to this secluded part of the island. Some ruins are there. Uh, She explains that uh, the gods were jealous of Atlantis and sent them here. She doesn't remember it very well because she was a little girl. She was, like, three years old or whatever. And Milo realizes, oh, Kina's over 8,000 years old. Holy shit. We also learned that uh, the Atlanteans can't actually read Atlantic script. Yeah, that information's been lost to them. But uh, Milo can. Uh, I gotta say, I I don't like the implications of this part of the movie of Milo. Yeah. Milo is the white guy who understands the culture of these uh, brown-skinned people better than the people themselves know. Yeah, I love this movie, but it very much is a white guy coming in to teach teach an indigenous culture about their own heritage and language and technology. I mean, it is Disney, so... Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, they like Pocahontas, too. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Didn't mean they, to uh, <laughs> Yeah, so they get. Like, Kina takes him to, like, one of the vehicles similar to the ones shown at the start of the movie. And they figure out how to get it working, but then immediately break it because they don't figure out how to control it well. Next, we get this whole bit of them climbing up to what looks like a giant sculpture of a head. And Kida explains her name is Kida Gakash, or Kida for short. Which, like, for everything Milo's been able to say in their language so far, he completely beefs it on her name. Well, yeah. to be fair, the initial reaction of strange woman who I, of a civilization I thought was extinct hot woman of a civilization I thought was extinct. Let's be honest, your brain would go to mush too. Like, I would do that? Sure. Uh, yeah, it just seems weird. It's it's not even like... Like, I've seen some, some like, names that... Some, some non-Western names that I had a hard time remembering. This is not a hard one to remember. <laughs> I say we've got the poor guy some slack. Yeah. Eh. Sure. Uh... <laughs> It was easy for us to say we're all in, you know, pajamas and comfy living rooms or bedrooms or whatever, and he's in a frickin' long-lost civilization under sea. 
<laughs> sure. We can cut okay. him a little slack. <laughs> sure. There's like a scene of them like of the crew like eating dinner with the Atlanteans. We see all these Atlanteans. They seem to be doing all right. Uh they seem to mostly eat shellfish as like their primary protein. Uh Sweet's got no problem with this. Uh uh, the, and then we get a shot of the various, like, generic crewmen that survived in their helmets and whatnot with, uh, Rourke and Helga. They're getting armed. Let's see, we cut back to Milo and Kida. Uh, Kida explains that, like, they live, but they do not thrive. They, as time goes on, they lose more and more understanding of their original culture. And she takes Milo swimming. Uh, Milo gets horny because he's seeing a woman take off her sarong. Yeah, which she's not even showing very much more skin than she was before, my dude. Yeah. Dude, right? Yeah, uh, they go swimming. Uh, Milo's swimming with glasses on. Which is a choice. And there's this whole sequence of them, like, swimming to this, lo- this like, ancient Atlantean bass relief where, like, all the- there's all this writing in the Atlantean script, and Milo has to, like, read it and translate it. Oh, it's worth noting. I forgot to bring it up during like the uh vehicle scene, but uh all of the Atlanteans have like this crystal pendant around their necks. It's like it's got a glowing light. They were able to figure out that it, they could use it to start up the uh the uh fish vehicle from before. And they use it as a sort of light source for this like swimming sequence. So Milo is able to decipher the the bass relief and he realizes something's going on with that missing page and they return to shore and unfortunately for them uh the entire crew has turned their backs on them and are holding them hostage oh yeah, it's- it's Did not literally they they surface from the swim and Rourke is right there being threatening. Yeah. He explains like, well, hey, you know you know how anthropology and archaeology work, uh, and we need to like get relics to like collect and sell for lots of money. Uh, you know, it's around this point I feel like I need to, like, talk about anthropology and uh, archaeology and how they stem from imperialism, because... Have at it? Yeah, the thing yeah, about... Here for a sec. Yeah, the thing about museums is they were started because, like, these very wealthy white people would, like, collect curios from, from foreign cultures. Uh... Like a classic example being like Egyptian and Indian, 
East Asian Orientalism and all that. And eventually they decided to, like, open these collections to the public. So, in order to, like, get these relics, they would get, you know, archaeologists, anthropologists, which at the time was mu much less about understanding the cultures and more about taming the cultures. And while modern anthropology and archaeology has progressed considerably, its, its roots lie in racism, imperialism, orientalism, and so on and so forth. Like, people, like, rich people wanted, like, mummies in their homes as a status yeah, symbol. Yeah. Uh, an important thing about modern anthropology and archaeology is, like, you need to have the permission of the culture you're learning about, that you are not the expert, they are, and you are learning from them to teach to others. And I think, like, Milo and Thatch represent the... Or, sorry, Milo and Rourke represent the, like, the, like, past and present forms of the of these, like, fields of study. I should note I'm very interested in, like, culture and anthropology and all that, and I... Took a class on it one time. Okay. It, yeah. yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And yeah, Rorik su uh, sums up the whew, the more problematic, shall we say, uh, version of it pretty succinctly with uh, with his quote. If you, oh, what is he saying? Hang on one sec. I wrote that down too. If you gave back every stolen artifact in the museum, you'd be left with an empty building. We're just providing a necessary service to the archaeological community, which Sure is exactly how that's been going on for a yeah. long time, huh? Yeah, you can you can always find protesters outside the uh, British Museum of Natural History for uh, stealing corpses and relics and whatnot, sacred artifacts. Yeah, which I mean that kind of that gets brought up in Black Panther too with Killmonger. Remember, he's sitting there looking at all the artifacts, saying, "Well, yeah, you took these from my culture so that you can parade them around for yours." Exactly. I was about to say whenever we whenever we do get to Black Panther that this will come up again because oh, exactly yeah. that is like the opening scene. No, it's not the opening scene of the movie, but it is the first time it, we it, see Killmonger. It's, right, it's Killmonger's introduction. That, yeah. Uh Yeah. So is that a baby in the background. Is that Mia? Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, hi Mia. <laughs> All right. Uh, She's in a different room, I guess, just that loud. Okay. I was sitting here like, is that a cat or a baby? But none of us have cats that I know of. Yeah. Huh. All right. Sorry. <laughs> so, we, like, Rourke refers to himself as a sort of adventure capitalist. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does. Not a mercenary. <laughs> and... So the mercenaries go and take Kida and the king hostage. They, like, Rourke very much threatens to, like, shoot the king. But, like, as he's figuring out, as, as he's about to do it, he realizes the solution to uh, getting to the heart of Atlantis. This, like, thing that will hopefully restore their culture and whatnot. 
all they've been able to find. Oh, by the way, Rourke has the missing page. It was on a yeah. need to know basis. Uh, and, well, now Milo knows. Yeah. He figures out that. Let's see. I have the quote written down. Uh, I I can't find it. It's like the heart of the heart of Egypt. Or sorry, the heart of Atlantis lies in the eyes of the king, and he realizes there's this sort of big eye in the throne room, and at the center of it is like the entrance to is like the secret entrance to this uh room beneath the palace uh, yeah which i do like it when something like philosophical and prophecy sounding always just ends up being no it's literally like right here <laughs> they find like this this sort of dark room there is a bottomless pool of water and above that bottomless pool are is this Big glowing crystal surrounded by like carvings of of past of past kings of Atlantis. And like Kina immediately gets down to pray. And then like she looks up and her eyes start glowing. And like starts walking. Yeah, she starts walking toward the crystal. Walking, it basically is letting her walk on the surface of the water until she gets directly underneath. Yeah. Where it just slurps her on up. I'd just like yeah. to interject here. I feel I felt bad about laughing at this part because it's a beautiful scene. But when I saw it again, the first thing that popped into my head was from It's a Bug's Life with the, uh, with the mods and the bug zapper. Uh, <laughs> oh, Harry, don't look at the light. I can't help it. It's so beautiful. All right, then. I felt so bad laughing. You're awful. Yeah, Kita yeah, is. Yeah, um, yeah, Kita is taken in by the light, and she becomes this glowing crystal being. The carvings fall to the water. She says to uh, Milo and Atlantean that all will be well. Do not be afraid. She heads back to the shore and credit to the Mercs. They figure out something, which is to put her in a, into, into a sort of makeshift prison where she starts to freeze up. Yeah. They basically like kind of, build, like, a containment chamber, like, around her, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, Milo chews them out for, for, like, basically doing a horrible imperialism. Uh. Work goes yeah, on yeah. some... Yeah. He, yeah, he, like, singles out a Vinny and Audrey Basically, like, Vinny, I'm sure your family will be so proud. Now they can open so many flower shops. Audrey, you'll finally be able to get that uh, that second garage your dad wanted to save up. I'm sure he'll be so happy knowing where the money came from, that kind of thing. Yeah. Work, go- work goes on some social Dar- Darwinist bullshit. Ugh. He calls it 
he calls it natural selection, and that is not, not what that means. how that works, my dude. That's no. not how any of this works. Well, hate it. He is a man from the year 1914, that working is... in the field of archaeology. <laughs> keep True. using that phrase. I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, it's just. <laughs> I could just hear Dan dying inside. Oh, that was me. Oh, well. It's just people do that shit nowadays to be like, oh, survival of the fittest, when really they're just like committing war crimes. And it's like, that's not what any of it means. Stop it. No, stop. Bad. Yeah. So Milo's speech is able to like win over like all the all the specialists and all that's all that's left of the other side is uh Rourke, Helga and the generic mercs. Yeah. Uh, Notably, I do want to take a minute to appreciate the fact that Sweet has been absent from this scene because I guess he must have already chosen to stay behind because he's off still at the throne room area uh, looking after the king and seeing how he's doing. I yeah. think he went to the king like right after Wart punched him. He did. Like, like, he that... on the spot. Yeah. yeah, he did. That was, that was his final straw was, dude, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And then... Take, oh, yeah. I'm a doctor taking over and making sure the guy's okay. Right. So, as much as I love Vinny and Audrey and all the others, Sweet didn't even need that guilt trip moment. He's so good, y'all. Sweet's a good dude. Yeah. Right, it was immediately Dr. Side kicked in going, this is not okay. Yeah. The uh, sidekick who I must remind is Native and Black. Y'all... I didn't really get the uh, notes super clearly here, but uh, what we know is the Atlanteans' neck pieces are glowing. Kid has been chosen. Uh, and, like, the king explains, like, how this whole crystal thing works. Oh, yeah. Okay, basically what he... Basically, the way he explains it is that the crystal has always been a sort of force uh, providing power and longevity and so on and so forth to the people of Atlantis. And every now and then, whenever the city is in extreme danger, it will choose basically a host uh, out of someone uh, uh, of somebody from the royal family to, I guess, sort of let it enact its will, because over the years, it's become like semi-sentient and somewhat alive which is basically what was going on at the beginning when it took Kida's mom uh, Kida's father like tried to use it for war which led to their downfall he explains that Kida could be lost to the crystal forever if, if nothing is done and uh, Sweet and Milo try to like talk out what to do uh, Milo has basically given up. He feels like he's ruined everything. Uh, Can I throw in something real quick? Yeah. Okay, Um. so you know how at the beginning, or a little bit more towards the beginning, we were talking about like the rewatch bonus, like how you can go back and rewatch this movie and start picking up on like all these little clues or foreshadowings? Yeah. 
One thing I noticed that was cool is, okay, so, you know, the king says that he was trying to use the heart as a weapon, which is what caused all this to start with. One thing that's kind of neat is, one, we don't know, we don't know what event triggered him to try to use it as a weapon in the first place. So we don't know if they were under attack by something. But if you go back and watch the beginning where it shows you the original destruction of Atlantis, if you look at the ships and everything that are fleeing the ca the catastrophe, the event, some of the ships that you see at the beginning that are like the first to run away, it's a squad of Leviathans. The sucker that we saw attack the ship at the beginning. So it's like, what could possibly be bad enough to run off not one, but five of those suckers to make them haul out of there? Oh, dang. So it's like, one, it's a rewatch bonus. It's like, oh, those are Leviathans running away. We've technically already seen those. And then two, it's what the hell could have been bad enough to make them run like hell. <laughs> I'm going to say the Greek pantheon. Ooh, oh. there we go. Good point. But I just thought that was something that was kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty neat, actually. Yeah. It's best that it's not answered, but... Oh, yeah. It's I mean, it does make you wonder, though, because it's like, you know, okay, we already think that the Leviathan is one of the biggest, scariest things in the movie. It's like, okay, now there's something that can make them run away. Yeah. But anyway, that was my little bit. <laughs> the Atlanteans, the, the crew, they all decide they have to ride the fish flyer vehicles. And go save Kita and by extension Atlantis. The official plan at this point being don't get shot, which fair. Yeah. Pretty sound advice. Yeah. Uh we get this scene of them chasing after uh chasing after uh Rourke and Helga and the Mercs. And uh the Mercs start pulling out like fucking Early 20th century flying machines. Uh, yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, they, fi they find out, like, the fish vehicles have mouth lasers that they can shoot out. Uh, and it's just a really cool big fight and flight it, scene. It is. I love this fight. It looks so good. Everything is just so cool that's happening in it. Dude, right? Rourke and Helga are taking, like, a balloon with Kita attached to it, riding up to the surface. The surface. Like, they they start having to lighten the load because they're catching up. Like, they're catching up on them. Uh, Rourke throws Helga off the balloon, and, like, they fight a bit, but Helga gets thrown to the bottom. But it's nothing personal. Eh. Yeah. Uh, May I just say also, between this and Great Mouse Detective so far, who else thinks Disney needs to have more fights to the death on hot air balloons? Yeah, hmm. I can support that. That's, a, sure. that's something I can get behind. Right? Sure. Uh, like, Milo tries to fight Rourke, but obviously he's no match. Uh, uh, Helga, who has fallen to the bottom... Uses her dying breath to uh, shoot a flare at the moon, setting it on fire. Uh, but yeah, she we get we get a close up. She gets her badass moment to basically repeat Rourke's words to her, saying, 
nothing personal and then just uh as Milo work her fighting Milo like grabs a piece of glass that broke off of the uh containment cell and slashes uh slashes uh Rourke with it and Rourke turns to crystal he does he turns into just this big <laughs> Like, not even in the same way as Turn to Crystal was basically almost as if she had just, like, if you call. Said the crystal's responding crystal. to whatever's in the hose. Yeah. So with Kita, of course, she's. Gonna be also, mostly the unchanged. Did say that, like, it will accept no others once it's chosen the host. I also kind of saw this as, like, it rejecting him, Right, sort of. right, he wasn't a worthy host. Uh, Not to mention, can we just point out the sound that he makes during the transformation? That is scary. Yeah. I mean... It's like that ungodly, like, yeah. screech. It almost sounds mechanical, but living at the same time. Holy shit, yeah. Like, I, I want to know, like, it's a bit of a joke among some that Disney villains usually die very vague, unceremonious deaths to, like, well, not unceremonious, but, like, vague deaths that don't, like, leave anything to, like, be seen. Like, they fall off a big thing and they're never seen again. Like, it has its own trope name, the Disney villain death, where it's, they die, but you don't see it. Like, nothing's explicit. Yeah, Rourke is fucking dead. Yeah. I mean, he's dead. We see Helga get thrown off the ships. I mean, she broke her back at the least and had a flaming balloon crash on her. There were all the submarines at the beginning that got destroyed by the Leviathan. Yeah. This movie has a high body count. I was about to say, yeah. There's and presumably all the ships and people that get killed in this fight scene. I mean, I wouldn't count that as much, but you get it. Uh <clears throat> Uh, so, they bring, uh, Hida's, like, thing back, and it's at this point, like, the, the volcano goes off, there's lava flowing everywhere, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I need to get some water, uh, pick up where I left off. <laughs> okay. Um, no, yeah, the, the volcano starts to go off. It's, I mean, if you've ever seen the beginning of Aladdin when everything's collapsing and, like, carpet flies Aladdin out of there, it's basically oh. the same thing, just lava all over the place. They're trying to figure out what to do. Um, they managed to get Kida back to the city. I'm sorry, Cat, were you trying to say something? No. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so they get her. They get her back to the city. Kind of get her out of the. Actually, I don't even think they get her out of the prison so much as it kind of just explodes off of her, sort of. Yeah. And then basically kind of repeats what we saw at the beginning with um, her and her hovering up into the sky, and then these massive golem dudes. Like, basically, I guess they. If you go back and look, they're probably always like laying in the backgrounds and stuff. And yeah, they're like the guardian. They're like the guardians, kind of. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, a dozen or so of them get up and, like, form kind of a perimeter around the city and make the same big energy bubble that we saw before, that we saw at the beginning of the movie as the lava, like, flows over it and then everything settles. And, like, once it, once everything does settle and the lava cools, like, there's just this really neat shot of it, like, it's not even like it explodes off or anything. It's just, it's basically a big lava bubble where the city had been. And you kind of slowly start to see a bunch of like glowing cracks work their way through it to form kind of like the same rune type carvings that we've seen on everything else so far. And then everything just. Right, right. The off of it. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool shot, dude. Oh, yeah. The fucking. The whole movie is cool shots. Let's just. Oh, man. I love these like uh colossi. It's incredible. Uh and like Isn't this Atlantis... like the first part of the movie that we see Miss Packard be impressed by anything? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the as the lava flow is coming, we see her with an old timey camera take a picture of it, which in fairness, same. I mean, we'd be doing the same thing with cell phones if we were there. Like, oh, absolutely. Like this is going on my Snapchat. Click. <laughs> Atlantis is restored to, like, its former glory. Like, all the, like, up to this point, we've just seen, like, ruins and, like, bits of islands sticking up. There is just a whole ass city here now. Okay, Uh, yeah, for some reason, for some reason, it did not connect in my head that it basically, like, repaired the city, which is also pretty neat. It, like, renewed it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and like notably, the guardians don't they they like don't collapse down and get back into water or anything, so once all this is done, they're now basically just kind of forever standing up outside the city, which they're, again, just chilling. they're hanging me. uh, yeah, so. We get this whole parting scene where the the crew is like all together. They're they're going to uh, leave for the surface and live out their lives again. Uh, they they're like, how can we repay you? And we do see that they gave them a whole lot of treasure, just a whole lot of treasure. I don't even think they have... I don't think I've even seen gold in this movie up to this point. I don't uh, think so. Ha! Huh. It's weird. Uh, but... But the important thing is, like, while the crew is... Like, the surviving crew is all leaving, uh, Milo's staying behind. Uh, yeah. He feels this is... This is the life for him. That... To live among the Atlanteans. Uh, and... And noting all of the team, they now also have the... They're all wearing the crystals now. The long light yeah. crystals. Yeah. It, I'm not sure if it's going to have the same effect on them as far as keeping them alive, but I assume being so far away from the city, probably not. I mean, either yeah. way, they obviously make a good keepsake. Or if nothing else, maybe not on the same level as the Atlanteans, but maybe yeah, they'll like get some of the effects. Health and live a little bit longer than most people or something. Or they like might even stay young a little longer, like looking young a little longer, maybe. At bare minimum, it will at least, like, 
It has sentimental value. Yeah, uh, which is the main point of it. Yeah. So everyone, like, gets together for a picture to, like, celebrate this tremendous occasion. And with the photo, it transitions back to uh, Whitmore's estate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, before we do, um, we do get, yeah. like, three, no, four specific goodbyes. Of people saying that with people saying bye to Milo, uh, Mole yeah. bursts into tears and gives him a hug. Audrey does the thing where like she's a she wants to say goodbye, but like she's still a teen and doesn't really know what to do. So like she pretends to punch him and then just sweetly goes not super flinching. Um, Cookie gives him the the grease from the entire. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Vinny's though, Vinny, of course, Vinny is just a gold mine for good quotes. He basically tells Milo and Kita he's gonna open a new flower shop and he's gonna think of them every day, Monday through Friday, nine to five, Saturday until two. Sundays he's gonna take off. He might come in for a couple hours. Except for August. He's taking all of August. <laughs> he's taking all of August off. I love Vinny. I think that yeah. was one of the ones where, like, that wasn't even scripted. His voice actor just started rambling, and the directors just let him go. Oh, Fair. there's a there's another good line earlier on. We missed. I, I think we completely went over it, but like, like when when like the crew is gonna like turn back to a uh, to Milo, uh, Finney's like, looks and. We've uh we've robbed graves, we've plundered tombs. Some of us have ex- have blown up cars, but we never we did <laughs> double parking. Like, Nobody got hurt. Anybody, anybody we knew. Nobody, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Again, like I said, he's a goldmine of good quotes, man. I friggin' love him. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, it cuts back to Whitmore's estate. Uh, the crew are all, like, together in uh, era-appropriate formal wear. Uh, and they're just telling Whitmore, while presenting all of these, like, photos of Atlantis, that uh, they found nothing. There was just some fish, some uh, cave, some caves, but that was it. Uh the uh uh they have to like come up with like cover stories for the three people that are the three very important people that are missing which <laughs> quote unquote missing <laughs> yeah and again awesome miss packard scene <laughs> yeah uh... <laughs> they're missing too uh yeah uh, I mean, it's one of those situations, though, where I guess technically they could have let Cookie, like, say what happened. I mean, given that he's an old, doddering yeah. kook, <laughs> nobody, even if it wasn't him, it's like nobody would have taken what he said seriously. Yeah, because the, uh, the joke of the scene is that while they're reviewing it, Cookie keeps accidentally, like, saying what really happened. So yeah. when they're like, oh, um, Rourke had a, had a complete breakdown. You might even say he went all to pieces. Cookie butts in. You might even say he was transmogrified into a crystal monster. I mean, he's missing too. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, Whitmore still gets all these photos, and the last thing he gets is a package this time from Milo to him. Uh, uh, tears. It's, it's oh. the 
it's one of the Atlantean uh, pendants that yeah. they've had. It's yeah. that and the uh, the photograph of young Milo with his grandpa, which now he's written a note on. I don't, I forget the exact wording, but basically like thanking him for everything. Yeah. Which one of y'all is chopping onions in here? Come on. <laughs> it's a nice scene. It, um, it is. Let me just also say, as far as the whole thing with Kida and Milo's relationship, I do really like how, unlike a lot of Disney movies, the romance thing isn't immediately played up. Like, oh God, these two are going to hook up and be happily ever after. Yeah, it does like, feel like a lot more they, natural than that. Right, well, yeah. and it's like they do. They start off as friends, and they show they have respect for each other. It builds the relationship. And then at the end, yes, they're going to be a couple, but it's not like that's not the point of the movie the entire time. Yeah. And I really, really like that because, honestly, I mean, I love Disney movies, but for a lot of the animated ones, that really is a driving point. And it was just really nice to see that not be a point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's especially there, it, but it's not I the like point. It. Yeah, especially as much as I like them, but like especially on the princess movies, right? Uh, final shot of the movie is Milo and Kita in Atlantis. Milo has gotten the tattoos of the people of Atlantis. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just like it. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Oh wait. Oh no. Speaking of tattoos, I forgot earlier on. When it was doing the montage of Kita showing Milo around the city, we get like just a brief cutaway to Cookie and Audrey, I guess, like looking and watching some guy get get a tattoo and Audrey being like, wow, look at those tattoos. And Cookie reveals he has all 38 United oh, States. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Why make Rhode yeah. Island dance? Yeah. The Atlanteans have these like, Bioluminescent tattoos. It's Why so did you cool. have to bring up that one, Steven? It's funny. We were having such a good podcast. <laughs> it's funny. I like it was it was a good scene. <laughs> we end the movie with a shot of just like a big shot of all of Atlantis with ships flying everywhere. It is back to its former glory. It is a really beautiful final shot. The Colossi stand outside, guarding it forever. Uh, It's... And... We end with this, uh... Very, uh... Very 2000s credit song. Early 2000s. It's... It's a good song. I don't remember how it went, but... (laughs) It... It sure did sound like a song from 2001. Yeah, I'll give it that. I think this was before Disney started, you know, not really paying attention to what music they were using to market their movies. (laughs) I mean, I think this was after the era of the, uh, of movies just having a tie-in song. Uh, I mean, I I'm think referring this is to the tail end of the year. Them using semi charm kind of life for the Tigger movie. What? Well, hang on. What? They use semi charm kind of life. Now, granted, they use part of the chorus, the catchy part, but they use that in the trailers for a Tigger movie. I don't. Wow. Everyone's what? like, did you not listen to that song? <laughs> it's about drinking with your mates. Uh, I mean, it's about oh. drugs, so. Oh, okay. 
if they sure. use that for a Tigger movie. What? Cool. Okay. Cool. Sorry, just had to throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> <That's so> weird. <laughs> wow. But yeah, that's the movie. We actually what have questions movie. this time. Yeah, too. anyway, questions. We have questions this time. We do. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. From Casey, the- Captain Moomin, and Deep Sea. So we got three people asking us questions, and they're good ones, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, I've got them pulled up already if you guys need yeah. or I don't know if you do already. I need to. Why don't you read them off? All right. Um, so we'll just start from the top. We've got one, uh, first one from Casey. Um, they want to know what mythical thing would you go on an expedition to discover? Um, they mentioned it could be anything from a cryptid to a long lost relic to Usher's personal copy of, da- personal copy of Dance Central 3. Uh, the frozen head of Walt Disney. Really, Steven? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know it's fake. We, I know that's not... I know it didn't actually happen, but if it had, would not would that not be, like, the type of thing to be at the center of some huge quest? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but really. <laughs> I do, like... The, do, do we have to, like... Do we have to, like, dis, like break into... The secret laboratories located underneath Epcot. Yes. Yes. All right. (laughs) Honestly, before I had that thought, my main answer to this was going to be that I would go on a big quest like this, even if it were just a dog. Like, just you go, you go to a secret underground city, and it's just the goodest boy or girl. You would find Otto. What? He's a good boy. He is a good boy. I would say because uh, I would say just because Casey doesn't specify he didn't he didn't specify a definition for mythical. Gee. So I would have to say I would have to go for an urban legend uh, or urban myth from my hometown. I would have to look for Goatman. Yeah, she uh just to clarify, Casey uses she her pronouns, but anyways, uh well, I wasn't sure that's why I went with they. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh anyways, uh so Hmm, I kind of, well, I really like the idea of finding a cryptid, and I'm, I'm not sure if I want, uh, if I want, like, something like El Basilisco or Ogopogo or, uh, one of them, or possibly just Suchinoko, just prove that it's real. Right. I would still, I would have to go with Goatman just because depending on the legend, he's either an extremely evil or malevolent being, or he's just a misunderstood hermit that wants to be left alone. And I kind of want to settle the debate. So I would look for Goatman. All right. All what right. if we found out Bat Boy? Oh, we no. need to prove that Bat Boy lives. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. (laughs) Yeah. All right. um, Oh, okay. Also from Casey, and I guess we can kind of build off of the last question. Um, It's, I've got this big expedition team ready. I vetted them to make sure they're not going to try to kill you all and steal whatever we find. Uh, In simple terms, what are we finding and what specialty do we bring to the team? Um, And also, how did Melvin... But what specialty do you bring to the team, Steven? (laughs) Puns? Uh, 
I guess I'm bringing took a class in anthropology one time. Uh, I'll be the team cook. And I'll be better than Cookie. Sure. Uh, Steven's seen pictures. He knows I can cook. That's true. Yeah, I that's believe fair. you. It's grammable. Uh, and then also Casey wants to know, how did Mole fit in that vase at the end? Uh, oh, that's because he's an amorphous dirt person? Yeah. He be- <laughs> he put that dirt in places you don't want to know. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we did refill. We did forget to mention that uh, Mole did like climb inside a giant uh, pot of inside a giant potted plant so he could be one with the dirt. And it's he doesn't start the scene out that way either. It's in the middle of the conversation. He just does. Yeah, he was like in a sweater vest at the start. Yeah. <laughs> Mole and sweater vest just they, they don't seem like they should be in the same sentence. Uh, <sighs> all right um are we ready for the next question yeah all right next yeah. one is from Captain moomin um let's see okay so their question basically goes around the fact that this and maybe emperor's new groove they mentioned in particular uh feel really different from other animated disney movies at the time uh do you think disney will ever try something sci-fi and action focused again and what would we like to see them adapt i would I would love to say that I hope that they will, but Disney in more recent years seems to be going more safe than anything else, so I don't think so. They know that they make their money off of princess movies, and that's where they're going. Yeah, I I heard someone suggest this, float this idea by me, and I think if they wanted to make something like that, they would put it under the branding of 20th Century Fox. Right. Yeah. Maybe Pixar, maybe, but probably you are right. It'd probably be Fox. Yeah. But now I'm thinking of like an animated Star Wars film. Ooh, ooh, that could uh, be good. Like traditionally Since, animated, or like Attack of the Clone, or like a Clone Wars kind of animated. Yes. Oh, either or. You mean like you mean like CG or yeah, drama? like traditional or like CG. I would prefer as traditional, just. And see, my problem is, is I, you know, I would love to see them do that, but it's like they've done it a couple times in the past, and for whatever reason, they don't go over well. Like with this one, and I'm not going to say that it didn't do well, but then look at like Treasure Planet. That was really good. That was a good adaptation, and that was more sci-fi. And you just don't really hear people talk about Treasure Planet much, and I like that. Which yeah. is such a crime. That one's so good. Yeah, Atlantis, uh, Treasure Planet, these like weird experimental films that were really gorgeous. You don't hear much about them. They're... And it's a shame, because I think they would do really, really well if they would put maybe more effort. But I guess because they're not the big cash cows, that's why they're not doing it. Yeah. yeah. Like you guys said, it's they're more the princesses are bankable. They are marketable. Yeah, the guys yeah. who, which, I'll, I'll talk, which I'm sure I'll talk about this more whenever Treasure Planet comes up. But the guys who made that one like had to fight for like a good 10 years just to get it greenlit. And that movie, it's it's got great voice acting. The animation is gorgeous. Another good blend of CGI and traditional. The music, I, I mean, I already love Goo Goo Dolls, but the I'm still here, I still love. Wow. Okay. Um. Anyway, 
let's see. So we did that. We went over what we'd like to see. Okay. Uh, okay. Here's an interesting one from Deep Sea. Uh, how would you design a theme park attraction around this era of Disney films? And they mentioned specifically Treasure Planet, Emperor's New Groove, Lilo and Stitch, etc. Okay. I'm going to go off for like a second because there, we almost had, mm, I forget what they were going to have called this, but at one point, just along the way, there are a lot of concepts that have been thought about and dropped for lands of the Disney parks or even more specifically just rides. At one point, we almost had one that would have been like based on just entirely based on steampunk and Jules Verne stuff. Yeah, I've heard about have, that. Which I've seen concept art for and was would have been so cool. Like the the stuff I've seen for it looks really really neat, and it would have been so good. So I would love to see that actually happen at some point. But at this point, it's been long enough that I feel like it's more or less forgotten and probably won't actually happen. Yeah. We got like the closest things we've ever gotten to it were the old twenty thousand leagues of the, under the sea ride, and uh, I think for a period of time, uh, Disney Paris had had like a ride that was a variant of Space Mountain that was very steampunk themed. But like I can imagine some sort of really neat ride just like riding in the Ulysses. That would be cool. Uh, yeah. Right. You, could do, you could do a really good like simulator ride, uh similar to Mission to Mars for this, where you're like outrunning or fighting the Leviathan. You could almost do, like, at least the opening, too. You could almost do from, um, like, from the Universal Parks, though. You know the Jaws ride where you go around and the shark actually attacks the boat? You could probably do oh, something yeah. like that. Like, combine the 20,000 leagues. Like, there was one, I don't remember what part of Disney it was, where you actually went underwater in a sub and the squid attacked. But you yeah, could totally that do something like leagues. that underwater with the Leviathan. Like, kind of combine Jaws and that. You could totally do that, and that'd be cool. I mean, Emperor's New Groove, there's already a roller coaster in that movie. You just got, you just do <laughs> right, that. Right, lab, exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that'd be good. Lilo and Stitch. Uh, there was a Lilo and Stitch. Not really. A, oh, I think yeah, there was the Lilo that and Stitch. Makes me, that makes me mad. Yeah, it I replaced, know, it like, the Titan weird. thing. No, it was the alien extra terror. Yeah, that's what thing, I meant. And that's they took it meant. out because they had signs everywhere telling parents this is not for kids. This is scary. And what did parents do? Ignore the fucking signs, took their kids on the ride, and then started complaining that their little babies got scared. So they took out a really awesome ride and put it in the Yeah. Yeah. It and also had like, to this day because I loved that thing. It also had like uh I think like one of the like main hosts of that thing, like Without it as like a huge creep, uh, that was also part of it. Um, oh. But yeah, uh, it's not the sole factor, believe me, but it was part of it. Um, so what else? But yeah, those were all the questions that we had. I was excited that yeah. we had those. Were good questions. Yeah, yeah. they were good questions. Uh. Uh, listeners, if you want to, uh, send us a question, uh, join the Discord, which is, I believe, included with, yeah, I put it in the, it's in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and open those if you still have the time. 
and join our Discord. Uh, we are in the process of setting up a Twitter. We have not finalized it, though, uh, at the time of this recording. Um, Which, yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll have in time for, yeah. for this to go up, but I'm not going to promise. Yeah. I'm still working on getting a hold of that one, uh, the artist friend that my friend recommended for the banner, so I'll let you guys know whenever I get an update on that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, just as a general time frame, we usually record these a week in advance. So basically, we record every other week, so... Yeah. It's recording week, upload week, and so on. Right. Uh, actually, now that we've gone over the questions, uh... I think it's time for me to pick my movie. Yeah, it's it is. Yeah. So, we are recording on October 4th, 2020. Uh, we will be recording again in two weeks, and that episode that we're recording next will go up, hopefully, on October 25th, uh, if I have time to edit it all in time. Uh, so, for this week, I have decided... We needed to do something Halloween. And there are plenty of Halloween Disney movies. And I wanted to, like, go for two... I had two on my mind that are probably a little less obvious, but I've they're both movies that I have some interest in. But I couldn't decide. So, on one hand, I want to go with Hocus Pocus. And on the other hand, I want to try Halloween Town. Ooh. Uh, so I've decided to uh, put these up to a flip of the coin. Uh, Ooh, heads, here we go. Ooh. Uh, let's see. Heads is Halloween Town. Tails is Hocus Pocus. Uh, so. Do you have a quarter or do you need me to grab one? I got one. I prepared it for this. Uh, awesome. Just flipped it. Uh, it's Tails. Uh, next week we're talking, or next episode we're talking about Hocus Pocus. Nice. Yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah. That'll be really fun. Which I have not seen. Yeah. I have not either. I <gasps> remember watching a bit of it at my aunt's house, who I've mentioned before. Uh, yeah, like I've seen, I've seen like a couple scenes here and there when it's been on TV, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. So. Right, right. I've seen like clips. And of course, you know, you see memes pop up around this time of year. Yeah. No, that'll be really fun. Yeah. Excellent pick, Nan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, is there anything else to do? Uh, plugs, I, I suppose. All right. Uh, in that case, I'm Dan. I I can be found on a lot of places, and you can find all those places at linktr.ee slash Mike underscore Dawson with a zero. From there, you can find my Twitter. You can find my comedy Twitter at Xbox underscore holiday, where Usher celebrates holidays with Xbox. You can find uh, my... my uh, you can find my art blog and my Kodash fee for where as little as $3 you can order a commission from me. And you can find my other three podcasts, which are Pod of Greed. Uh, this 
the week of this recording, we are recording the final episode of uh, of a of Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters. Oh uh, man, finally gotten getting there. Yeah. Uh, you can f- listen to. Oh, also on our Patreon for a uh, Pot of Greed, we have recently recorded something. Uh, a little thing that uh, anyone familiar with uh, host of the show, Maxi Bajillion, will be able to guess. Uh, you can listen to The Sonic Shuffle, a Sonic lore podcast that where we uh, switch continuity every week. Uh, we finally talked about an actual mainline game for once. Oh, shit. We, we talked about the original Sonic the Hedgehog for the Sega Genesis. Uh, you can listen to... Oh man, that's a flashback. Yeah. No, I'm a couple episodes behind on it, but yeah, Kat, like Dan said, they random they randomize it every week and have not gotten... <laughs> this is the first time y'all have talked about a game, right? Uh, technically not the first. We've also talked about Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric, but like, that's it. Uh, oh, okay. But, like, this is the first time we're talking about, like, a mainline game. Like, a major game. Uh, you can listen to Stranger's Fiction, an audio entropy what actual play podcast focused on one-shots. Uh, we recently uploaded an episode where I GM'd a game of Costume Fairy Adventures. Uh, and that's it for me. Uh, Who'd like to go next? Oh, wait, I guess it's Steven. Um, Steven? <laughs> yes. Um, no, yeah, I'm Steven. I have two things on Twitter that I do aside from this. Uh, one is a dad joke account where I've just, I post a new dad joke every day at dad underscore tastic. Uh, my main Twitter is at marshmallow. It's spelled like marshmallow, but it's got my name in it. And that's pretty much all I got. And I'm Kat. And just remember, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving's probably not for you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll try to hold you back. They will say you're wrong. But they will never understand the journey. Try to change your mind They'll try to change your heart